Hello and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by me, Nick Hewer, and Allianz. Now, in this series, we examine global trends that will affect and shape businesses in the next few decades. We look at the risks, but also analyse the opportunities that could be available for business and discuss what all this means for the insurance industry. Now, previous episodes have covered topics like business interruption, autonomous vehicles and robotics. If you missed them, you can listen now on your normal podcast app. Now, today, we're talking about the changing workplace. When I started out working in business, I travelled to an office where I generally work standard hours Monday to Friday. But now, that's all very, very different. It's becoming increasingly common for people to work from home. The digital world means that it's never been easier to set up a temporary desk in the local cafe with just a a laptop and a mobile phone to hand. But it's not just home working that's changing the workplace. The gig economy is also growing, so-called because workers carry out jobs on an individual gig basis. Think Uber, Deliveroo or Hermes. According to figures published by the ONS in February 2019, the number of self-employed people increased from 3.3 million people in 2001 to 4.8 million in 2017. That's just over 15% of the workforce. So in this era of new working patterns, does that demand new ways of thinking about insurance? With me to discuss this today are Helen Bancroft, Underwriting Manager at Allianz, John Palmer, Senior Editor at ACAS, and Daniel Pearson, an insurance analyst from Global Data. So, Daniel, the gig economy, what is it and who's working in it? So there's kind of a preconception that it's only delivery drivers, so whether that be couriers or food delivery drivers. uh, That's the the common thing that people look to for the gig economy. Um, But it's much wider than that. It's essentially anyone who's paid per task on a short-term employment basis. So that could range from, say, an accountant, uh, a cleaner, and gardener. Anyone basically paid for a short-term employment period on the the basis of the task that they're completing. Okay, And I guess, John, you're with ACAS. You look after people who are employed and you also advise people who employ those people. Mm -hmm. So what's the driving force behind the gig economy and how significant is the shift? Have we seen the end of the explosion of the gig economy? Well, I think it's early days to tell that for sure, but certainly we have seen an increase in use in gig-related work over the last few years. Um, Certainly when I was in my younger days, more years than I care to count now, um, you know, the the kind of people that would do gig work might be students who wanted the flexibility to do a little bit of work, something like that, and it's expanded these days into something far more structured, far more formal, and far more recognisable in most parts of the workforce. What does the change in working patterns mean for business, do you think? Now, what do you think? John, Daniel? Um, Well, I think that what it means is it's a change and it brings, as does all change, challenge and opportunity. And the challenge is to make sure that you bring your workforce along with you, that you hire the right people, have them feel valued, have them understanding what you expect of them and that you've got the right relationships with them. The opportunities, of course, are that you get a different degree of flexibility, a different way of deploying your staff, and um, the financial benefits, the economic benefits that come out of that too. And Daniel? I'd say I completely agree with what you've just outlined there, and that the lower cost of operating businesses 
is uh, probably one of the biggest drivers for business. Okay. Uh, looking to employ people from the gig economy. But has anybody actually done the work and found out exactly how many people are working in the gig economy? Yeah, sure. So it's roughly about 4.4% of the UK population. So that's around 2.8 million individuals. And just for comparison, that's nearly twice the size of those working in the NHS. So that was 1.5 million individuals. So it's mm. a sizable market. Have you noticed within ACAS, you know, a surge in inquiries and advice required? Um, certainly we deal with calls of this nature more than we have done in previous years where the calls have previously been limited to students and people who want maximum flexibility. You're finding that many people in all walks of life at every stage of their lives now are working in this kind of economy. Um, this is a, you know, often the economy is filling up small areas and expanding and as we've just found out you know 2.8 million people are currently working in this area and many of these people are new to the gig economy themselves as well and one of the interesting developments that's coming out of that is that when people go into something temporary if they enjoy it they might want to do more of it they might want to carry on doing it and especially as there is space as the business areas grow um, one of the areas the government is looking at at the moment under their reviews is whether or not they're going to legislate to give all workers the right to request a more stable contract in the future and again the practicalities of that they're still going to be discussed and looked at. Helen what does this change in the workplace mean for insurance policies and products you think? Yeah well I mean, insurance first and foremost is about protecting assets and the most important asset that a company generally has is its employees and you have a legal requirement to provide coverage for them. I think there's been a grey area for quite some time and it's still quite grey around are people who are working in the gig economy, are they employees or not? It's under review, it's still under review and there has been some court cases that have tried to clarify it but we're still not necessarily any wiser on it. Businesses will quite often say people aren't employees, so they don't necessarily get any rights, they don't get any sick pay. Um, but there's a question around, would a policy respond, your insurance policy respond? And what that would come down to is, would the court of law dictate that you should respond to it or not? You don't necessarily want to get to court to work that out, really. Um, so some of the things we would look at is who provided people with their equipment to be able to do their job. So if you were provided with a computer company provided you with that you'll probably be deemed an employee who tells you where to go to work how to do your job if the gig if whoever you're working for is telling you how to do that you're going to be deemed an employee on that front so should people be providing coverage for them possibly i would say i think we are seeing more and more requests coming through f for that do products traditional products respond to that not particularly well, I would say. We're starting to see a demand around gig workers themselves looking for protection. There's no guarantee if you're working um, as a gig worker, you don't generally get sick pay. So what do you do if you can't work because you don't have an income? So should you look to protect that instead, which you can do as an individual, or you could look to do that as a, as a group. Some of what we've started to see in our company are the companies actually buying as a group on behalf of all of their gig workers okay. to provide cover. Got it. I think on that point as well, a lot of the policies that are even needed or currently available are the traditional insurance policies. They're not needing necessarily a completely new product. It's just they need it to be flexible. Yeah. 
is the yeah. biggest issue there yeah. because of the flexibility of working hours. That's one of the biggest drawbacks to an annual policy. And what you also have is quite a lot of gig workers will work from multiple companies. So obviously you will traditionally buy insurance for, for your company and you're only providing it for that. But if you've got somebody who's working for you, but then they go and work for somebody else... How do you know what policy they've got? It might be completely different. Actually, that gig worker should have the coverage across all of the period that they're working, and that will be how they protect themselves regardless of who they're working for. Daniel, let's just think about the smaller insure tech companies. Are they benefiting from this uh, gig economy, do you think? Um, I'd say yes as a one-word answer, but as a broader topic, it's creating more opportunities for them to work with the larger players in the space. Um, one of the biggest issues probably that insurtechs face is being able to earn the uh, the policyholders' trust. If you're new and you've only been around for, say, mm. six months and you're buying a protection product off them, do you trust them that they're going to pay out? The, the years that you might need that to be paying out for. Um, but because of that, it also gives them the opportunity then to work with the likes of Allianz and other big composite insurers. So uh, it's, it's definitely an opportunity for the smaller players to enter the market. I think one of the bigger opportunities as well for them is that they're much more technology savvy and gig workers typically are employed through a digital app. So they're looking to then purchase their insurance for a similar kind of method or medium. Um, and insurtechs typically focus on app-based propositions. Um, so it works quite well for the, the policyholder to either have it so cover begins once they log on to their employer's mm. app or they then go onto another app and purchase at the same time as logging in. Um, so it's quite a good opportunity for them to show their technology, really. John, John, here we are. You represent both ends of the thing, mm -hmm. the worker and the employer. Who should insurance companies, who should uh, Helen be aiming her policies at? Okay, well, ACAS is a non-departmental government body. We wouldn't ever sort of advocate who should or shouldn't have insurance. Mm. However, one of the things that we commonly do come across on our helpline service when both employees and employers call us with problems is the fact that actually one or the other of them may actually have a form of insurance and they are unaware of the support that that offers them at an early stage. And it can be very, very valuable because it can dictate what sort of service, what sort of support they will get in future to check up on their insurance products if they have them at a very early stage in any form of dispute. In this case, in the gig economy, the disputes, as Helen touched on before, can be around whether someone has the right employment status for coverage, things like that. The earlier that someone works out if they have insurance, whether it's from the employer or the employee, and whether or not it covers them in their situation is, is very important. Yeah. And a lot of policies will give a legal kind of protection element as well, or they'll just give a support line that you can yes. call with any, any kind of queries you've got over a legal thing, and, and they'll, they'll respond. Or... There is a perception, please you know, beat me up if I'm wrong, but there is a, is a perception that um, many gig workers, you know, and they do it by choice, but they're not necessarily earning a lot of money. Um, that is the case for some of them, yes. And I suppose the following question is, would they be paying for their own insurance exactly. in that sort of and situation? do they feel it necessary to have it? Um, well, again, that depends on the issues that you're facing and the sort of person that you are. Um, 
and I think it's a personal choice for many gig economy workers. I don't for one second question that there might be some of them on the lower income levels that may actually feel pressured to not have them for other reasons than it being a good idea or not. However, um, it is important to remember that everybody has access to services like ACAS, which is free advice on their employment rights and employment disputes. And indeed, when a dispute happens between an employer and an employee, um, whatever that may be, ACAS has various services that are free of charge which help to resolve those disputes or at the very least give good advice to help people resolve those disputes. At the same time, the insurance services that are available um, and if someone's a member of a trade union, for example, they will have access potentially to legal advice through those channels as well. All of these things are things that can help employees but again, whether they should or should not have that, that is, as far as ACAS is concerned, it would be a personal choice Of course, but what could go wrong? they don't have the, the right cover? Well, I suppose the biggest challenge would be if somebody felt they had nowhere to go. And fortunately, ACAS is here, it has a helpline and those sort, and that's available. But of course, if people don't know that we're here, um, then of course, you may find a situation where someone isn't sure where to go. From the employer side, what quite often happens if they don't have insurance or they don't realise what their insurance covers is they will quite often get in touch with their accountant. And um, accountants are... Always very, very helpful people, but um, employment law, employment rights, not necessarily something that they are um, engaged for. And that can present a bit of a challenge in terms of sometimes misinformation in the best of circumstances. Let's, let's go back to the insurance industry. What do brokers need to think about with regard to the gig economy? Helen, what do you think? So I think they need to to look at kind of what advice that they're giving out to to the people that they're they're placing their insurances for. So brokers will traditionally place um, business insurance with, um, with with the insurance companies for for large global companies, uh, companies ac- across the UK. I suspect if they've got gig workers working for them, they probably get forgotten about. So I think brokers probably need to start wondering around actually un- making sure they understand how that business is operating and you know how that business operated five, ten years ago. It might be quite different now and are there different insurance needs that the company now has and how do we adapt the policy I to, think as well it's to kind fit of in with that. Raising awareness of how diverse the gig economy is rather than just, as I said earlier, people thinking it's just careers. Yeah. Because it's in almost most walks of life now, brokers have to be able to look at most of their client base probably and be able to understand how they're using gig workers and what that could mean for an insurance product. Well, I mean, in the main, I mean, most of the big employers, British Steel, National Coal Board, CGB, gone. Yeah. Right? And therefore, people are just going to have to look around and see what's what. Hmm? Yeah. So certainly in my business, if it's a business, we're all gig, uh, yeah. gig workers, Yeah. And people don't necessarily want to work for big corporations anymore. They they want to be in charge of their own destiny and, and drive mm. it themselves. Daniel, can insurance companies and brokers actually benefit from workers in the gig economy? In other words, there's a fertile market there. Are you taking advantage yeah, of it? Yeah, definitely. There's big opportunities for the insurance industry to, to grow that market. Um, although it's it's in comparison to more established markets, it's nowhere near the size um, partly that's because of the premiums are pretty low and they're often on a by hour basis so it could be something for a 7p an hour or something like that um, and most people who work in the gig economy are only doing so for less than 16 hours a week so if you add all that up it's not going to equate to a massive market size but because it's so new 
there's still quite a, an opportunity there for insurers to move into and start developing and providing products. So, Daniel, do you think that enough people are aware of the need to uh, take out insurance as gig workers? Um, again, I think that does come down to what sector of the gig economy they're working in. Uh, because, obviously, if you're working as a, a private hired driver, you know that you're going to need car insurance. Yeah. Um, however, if you're working as a delivery driver, it's not necessarily something that you're aware of. And if you are aware of it, you might be willing to take the risk of, I'm only going to be working for two hours this week. Do I really want to pay? Although it's a small sum, do I really want to pay that out? I ride my bike most times a week. I'm, I'm fine. What, what would change this week sort of attitude? Um, but as the gig economy grows and people look more towards this way of employment, either as to supplement their, their main income or just as their main income, it's certainly something that people become more aware of that there are products there. And I think it will probably be partly through education um, from insurers, brokers and price comparison sites as well as the employers. What could go wrong if you haven't bothered with insurance cover? So I guess it depends on what side you look at it from. So you could look at the business's side and, and what could happen there. So potentially they could have to pay a claim that perhaps they haven't paid their insurance for that could happen. That's probably not the worst thing in the world. Um, for the gig economy worker, that person who's probably suffered an injury or is now not able to work, actually, where are they going to get their income from for, for however long mm. they're potentially incapacitated for? So, so that could go wrong wrong for them, and, and that's probably one of the key things I would say they need. There is also potential if they haven't taken out the right cover. So you mentioned indemnity policies earlier, or they might need some form of public liability cover. Actually, if they don't take that out, then they could pretend something's happened. So they've managed to hurt somebody, a member of the public, or they've damaged somebody's property. Then actually they could get sued for, for repairing that damage potentially. And damage isn't necessarily a difficult thing to repair. But if you've injured somebody, that, that can have quite quite high costs attached to it. And you might actually then not be able to, to operate as, as your business if, if you don't have cover for it. I think another thing as well is, as a lot of people are using it to supplement kind of their main income, if they were to be injured for whatever reason whilst working in the gig economy, that could then have knock-on effects on their, their main source of income, uh, whether that be a loss of income or a lower income for the period of time that they're not working. But having that insurance could help to mitigate that impact too. Yeah. I think it's um, quite interesting as well because when people look at this type of work who perhaps have been more familiar with traditional models of employment, um, the temptation is to see all the positives, all the advantages, all the opportunities, all the extra money that might seem very freely available and um, not to question anybody here but perhaps overlook some of the responsibilities and the liabilities that come with that and um, it is important for people who are thinking about working within this economy whether they're going to be hiring people within that working with people and that or working in it themselves that they actually understand that there is responsibility as well as opportunity and to plan for both yeah. general question for you all what guidance do you offer to businesses and employees in relation to the gig economy suddenly you know they're kicking off a new business. If you had a seat at the right hand of the employee and the uh, employer, what would you advise? ACAS, um, on its own website, acas.org.uk, um, we provide information on 
all the employment rights that are going to be relevant to someone starting up a new business and you will find that there's information there for small firms and for larger employers that are expanding. We also offer the same sort of information for employees. So we would give um, guidance to to brokers around kind of for them to have a look and consider. That's why we do these kind of podcasts for them to, to listen and find out what some of, some of the issues are. We're not actually allowed to give advice because we're non-advisory. So okay. people have to go out and, and seek what is the right thing for them to do. And that's why they use brokers um, on that. But we, we can have a look and we can we can make comment on on some things. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, and so it's with our thanks to Helen Bancroft, Underwriting Manager at Alliance, John Palmer, Senior Editor at ACAST, and Daniel Pierce, an Insurance Analyst from Global Data. Please do subscribe to the series through your podcast app. That way, you'll be sure of never missing an episode, and we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review as well. From me, Nick Hewer, and Alliance, it's goodbye.